Hello and welcome to Heroes Prefer Crossbows, the podcast that's only a podcast if you don't look straight at it. I'm Greg Smith. I'm Matt Smith. No relation. In this episode, we're going to talk about E3 2018. Let's party. Let's talk about E3. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 um, looked pretty freaking cool. I was instantly excited because I love The Witcher so much. But I got kind of scared because I was like... Because it was sci-fi and cyberpunk. And I think... There's not a whole lot of cyberpunk games I've enjoyed. And I I felt like... uh, Out of the gate, I was like... uh, Even though it's CD Projekt Red, who made probably my favorite or one of my favorite... RPGs of all time, how could they do cyberpunk in a way that I would like? And it took seeing the trailer to get on board. Um, I saw that trailer, and at first, to be totally honest, I was like, this just looks like it's, you know, kind of a cop-out. It looks like it's sort of just a CGI trailer of of um, a game that they could have been showing us more, like, in-game footage of. Yeah. But it turns out that that was all rendered in-engine, which is incredible. Yep. Which makes me super excited. Yep. And, and, then, I, and I, it's easy to believe, honestly, after thinking about what The Witcher Three was like. And yeah. So after after sort of like reading more analysis of it, and also reading the impressions of uh, those lucky games journalists that got to play a fifty minute demo of the game <coughs> behind <clears throat> behind closed doors, um, uh, it, it has me very excited. I I have not played The Witcher Three to a great extent. I actually just re-downloaded it. I, I played about an hour and a half of it when it first came out. And I stopped playing because I was just brutally overwhelmed. Oh, it's so overwhelming. By the sheer... No- I'm the kind of person who has to like... Like when I get a quest, it's like it. I gotta like, okay, I gotta do this quest. But, and then I'd be in the middle of that quest and I get another quest and it was just like a never-ending tangential circle of quests and did I, you leave the starting area? I, I barely did. Uh, how many hours did you put into Skyrim? Uh, a lot. A whole, whole lot. Yeah, I can imagine. If you play, that's another game where if you play it that way, you're going to be in there for hundreds of hours. Yeah. I don't know why, but for some reason I didn't have that same problem with Skyrim. And maybe that's just because I was more used to, I played Oblivion um, and to some extent Morrowind um, quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was used to, uh, to that style more. Yeah, they have, uh, they have, you know, the they have this structure thing in common with the quests and side quests, but they definitely don't feel like similar games to play at all, um, in terms of narrative. Um, I think in Skyrim, I started replaying it a little bit recently because I got it on my Switch. I figured that'd be a good time sink for airplanes and stuff, and. Um, one thing that struck me was just how flat the NPCs were. Um, just really a lot of like dialogue that doesn't really make sense or is poorly written, frankly. Or just give me a fetch quest and there's no story here. Whereas in Witcher 3, I felt like some of the random 
MP3s. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, some of the ra- <laughs> that that was that was almost like a burn on someone, but it wasn't. Not quite. <laughs> um, some of the random NPCs were some of the most interesting characters. There were NPCs like there was. A, I remember early on. Do you remember the innkeeper and like the first inn that you go to? Who's this like middle-aged lady, who um, vaguely she kind of wants no trouble. Like I don't remember, but for something about how she was written in her performance, I like I really got on her side. Like I really sympathized with her, and then later she fucking hates you because you're just a source of trouble. And I felt a little heartbroken. Like that doesn't happen in Skyrim, honestly. Like. I realize that game's old and video game writing has come a long way, so I don't want to like knock it so much. I'm sure Elder, Elder Scrolls Six is going to be better on this front. But. I'm, I'm sure that's true. I also feel like, I mean, Bethesda sort of has a a history of like in in, in all of their games. I've played most of their their recent games. I've played pretty much all their Fallout games and all their Elder Scrolls games, um, except for the Elder Scrolls Online, which I haven't really gotten into very much. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like there are certain quests. Like there's a main quest, and there's a, there's like maybe a handful of side quests that have like obviously got like the lion's share of the writing like attention, like, yeah. like that were really workshopped in a writer's room. And everything else was, you know, probably done by some auxiliary team um, just to fill out, you know, the game hours. Whereas I feel like CD Projekt Red, it's pretty evident, even in the little bit that I played in The Witcher 3, that like every single quest in in that game is like very meticulously Mm -hmm. written and like scrutinized over and um, and like written impeccably and voice acted impeccably like yeah, they really good voice acting. they really didn't like you know no matter how small the uh the task or the character they really sort of like wanted each and every character to really be in every interaction to be authentic and as real as possible that's probably a strength of their approach with picking some source material rather than going all original material because um there's a whole bunch of witcher books i think Oh yeah, well, I read the first one, and I that, that it feels it feels like a book that was written so that somebody could have lots of material for a great video game later. I think actually that's that's another thing that I think I like more about Skyrim is that you make your own character completely from scratch, as opposed yeah. to playing Geralt, who admittedly is a great character. But yeah. I don't know when I'm playing an RPG, something about making a character completely from scratch. Um, you know, sort of appeals to the the tabletop um, ethos of of the genre. The character creation and customization is a huge source of enjoyment for sure. And the, all, the customization of Witcher doesn't measure up because you're kind of deciding what's emphasized rather than. And that's and that's why I'm super excited about Cyberpunk 2077 because we're combining all of the RPG know-how. Um, and attention to detail that CD Projekt Red has demonstrated with The Witcher, and we're also getting a very authentic RPG uh, system. At least it seems to be. It's based. It's based on uh, a tabletop game from the 1980s, early 90s, uh, called Cyberpunk 2020. Um, and it seems like they're really from from at least from the impressions that I've read uh, of journalists who have played the game. Um, it seems like they're really sort of leaning into that that whole character creation uh, 
tabletop RPG style. The reason I'm most trusting of their source of material is not because I'm familiar with Cyberpunk 2020 at all, but because I have played a different tabletop RPG that's kind of cyberpunk called Paranoia Troubleshooters. I can actually see it on the shelf right there. Um, Which is a kind of like a comedy-oriented game. Like, it's it's very silly. Like, uh, you play as troubleshooters, and you're called that because if you see trouble, you shoot it. And you, one of the core mechanics of the game is that there's like an authoritarian robot computer that runs the world, and some player characters are secretly renegades and some aren't, and you don't reveal that to your party, and that's just part of the game. And ah, so it's like a hidden rule game. Yeah, but it was like a tabletop RPG, like Dungeons and Dragons. So they really, it was there as a hook rather than a a pure mechanic in any way. Um, but the, I'll remind me to show you the, the book later. The, yeah. the source book is hilarious and like so creative. And I think um, there's something about science fiction from that time, I guess, that that really worked. And, and science fiction kind of, is science fiction funny anymore? I don't know if that's a thing now. Uh, I think I think it can be. I think... Um, I think the best science fiction uh, knows when to interject humor. Um, I, f- I mean, I feel like science fiction, but primarily funny, primar- as like as like the center point. I yeah. mean, I mean, if you if you were to ask Douglas Adams, I'm sure he would say yes. Well, well that was when was that stuff written? Wasn't that written around the same time? It, yeah, I think I, I think s- I think I think you you're you're supporting my case here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I completely agree. I think it was that mindset of science fiction that was kind of uh representative of, of that era h2g2 i'm gonna read that out to my phone so we can figure out what year it is uh 78 70 so that sounds right yeah. yeah i think 70s and 80s that's also when cyberpunk came from i think 70s was when cyberpunk started yeah. like when pk dick was writing uh do androids dream of electronic sheep which was right there on the shelf i've never read the book um i have certainly seen blade runner yeah, like I've I've read some of the the, the cyberpunk classics like uh, William Gibson, Neuromancer, which is next to it on the shelf. And I've read uh, Snow Crash. Snow Crash, yeah, I haven't read that one, but I have that on the shelf, so I just haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, the point is that if you're gonna make good cyberpunk, um, I think you're gonna need a source of inspiration because I don't think people are making that kind of sci-fi these days, and there's a treasure trove of. Um, good stuff from like the 70s and 80s and I'm so glad that CD Projekt Red picked something that I trust is uh, part of that uh, history and is, is I can't think of any other reason they would have picked it besides it's good and I trust that it's good it seems like they're also making it their own as well especially in the art design um, it, it does not look like the Matrix it does not look like the Matrix <laughs> and I would say it, it looks like it looks like Blade Runner if there was ever daytime in Blade Runner and not <laughs> full of smog all the like, yeah, and, and like, like better like the Kyoto Treaty passed in, in in this version of the future. There are some things that were like straight up Blade Runner, like the big holographic ladies dancing. Like, why are people so obsessed with that? But um, it was the minority. I f- I felt like the. Like uh, it's a wider color palette, certainly. It's a wider color palette. It's more, 
Yeah, you said it's more daytime. It's like more awake. It's more lucid. It's more fun, and there's positive energy, not just like I'm, I'm literally being down on your luck and grumpy. I'm literally literally trying to remember right now. I'm thinking back to both Blade Runner movies. If there's a single scene that takes place during the day, and there I probably is. But I think that your memory is telling you something that's very real about what the tone of the movie is. Yeah, was. even if it was technically daytime, it's like it's shot and lit in such a way that makes it seem dreary and, and I think dark the thing that said it all was when they were walking down the, the subway and there were some punk guys with the colored mohawks and it looked like they were having fun i was like i would actually yeah. like hanging out like they, they felt like that was a place i would be happy to be and um that was one of the things they said about in the trailer explicitly in the in the video was night city it's a shitty place but for some reason everyone wants to live here right and i think that they um, they made you feel that with how they presented it. I, I thought that it, like I said, at first that trailer, like I was like disappointed with it. And then I rewatched it and I was like, I, this, this gets me so excited to play this game, even though like there's no gameplay in it. Just like looking at the world and like, I almost had to watch it frame by frame because there's actually <laughs> a lot to unpack. Oh yeah. I, I mean, we could talk, we could do a podcast probably just about that trailer. Sure. Um, but, um, but I, I'm I'm very excited. It's definitely a game to watch, and I really hope that we get to see uh, what gameplay looks like. Uh, I think it speaks to the game a lot that we're see, we're this excited about it without actually having seen any any gameplay ourselves. Yeah, I felt the same way with my second watch through of the trailer. I got more on board. I think it. I took a little convincing because the things I'm saying I like about it are not surface level, really. Also, a great song. I don't remember what the song was. I don't know how to describe the genre of the song, but uh, it's been oh, stuck it was, in my head. It was instrumental? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'll pay attention to that. Um, yeah, the first person thing, I think people have been disappointed by... That's the internet sentiment analysis, the, the, the patented Greg internet sentiment analysis, which is just me saying what I think and claiming it came from the internet. But um, one of the things I was just thinking of when I was looking at those cyberpunk books on the shelf is that that is all it almost fits with the genre because in let's take neuromancer for example um and there's also you mentioned snow crash that's one with hero protagonist right yeah um it's I, been a long time i probably couldn't tell you any real details about the plot because i read it when i was like okay. nine but well, i'll just talk about neuromancer um the main character in that is does not have a lot of personality um and you're really enjoying the other characters in the world. And the the PC is a little bit just the lens through which you see it all. And in a way, it's, the, the idea of a first-person game kind of fits like fits, fits with that. So I don't know if they're playing the long game the same way I'm thinking, but it, it might be. I mean, I think, yeah, as a first-person game, it's, it's easier for you as the player to inhabit the body of, you know, in, in your own headspace to inhabit the body of, of your game avatar. And I also feel like, you know, besides that, like first person in my experience, and not that you can't have a successful third person shooter, there's plenty of great third person shooters out there, but I feel like third person inherently works better with like melee combat yep. focused games, For like sure. the big flourish, like you get to see those big flourishy sword moves and ax moves and all sorts of, cool you know melee combat techniques whereas when you are using a firearm as your primary means of interacting with the world you know 
being able to aim down sight in first person is at least for me a more familiar and uh more uh recognizable way to 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 do that there's a reason that games like destiny put you in third person when you equip the sword yeah exactly um yeah, uh, Jedi Knight, one of the old LucasArts games, did the same thing. Like you'd you'd, be, you'd always you'd use a, when you're using a blaster, you'd be in first person. When you get used your lightsaber, you'd switch to third. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I think like for any kind of precision or long distance shooting, I think you need to be first person for it to feel in any way like you're doing it. Yeah. Not just telling someone to do it, especially I mean, when it comes to like um, knowing if your shot's blocked by something. You need to be staring. Your view angle needs to be with the lined up with the barrel somewhat. I think one of the one of the devs spoke about it, and it sounds like it was a very a very carefully considered decision on their part, which doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> um, I, I they they'd said something to the effect of um, they felt that like it was more it was a more visceral experience um, just in in terms of your general interaction with the world. Um, yep. to play it in first person uh, compared to third person. And I, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So and I, I completely trust their judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you, I don't want them to just make a reskinned Witcher. Um, yeah. Like, it's kind of like um, how Isle of Dogs wasn't a typical Wes Anderson movie, but it was cool that he tried something different. And maybe it isn't as great as Life Aquatic or something. Like, you, you don't want to see the same things over and over. Um, and I think that's a great developer. The di- you know the difference between a good developer and a great developer is like a great one can solve each problem independently and not just ride on the laurels of their success. Want to talk about Last of Us Part Two? I I absolutely want to talk about Last of Us Part Two um, because apart from Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Um, it, it's probably the game that I am most excited about coming out of E3, um, and um, and certainly the game that, at least as far as games that we actually got to see gameplay of, um, that I'm most excited about. Um, I should say that I play I've played The Last of Us, uh, the first one, um, probably f- three or four times now since it Ooh. first came out in um, 2013. That's good mileage, um, and it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, just because it has this really amazing combination of incredible writing, incredible voice acting, and, and motion caption acting, um, and then really, really interesting gameplay that always manages to make you feel like you are just bare... I mean, it depends what difficulty you're playing it on, but if you're playing it on normal or harder... At least for me, it always felt like I am just barely skirting by. Like you're just one bad decision away from from getting brutally brutally murdered, um, and and the way that uh, you're able to interact with the environment in those games, um, uh, I was always really. I don't think I've ever seen another game uh, allow for environment interaction, uh, especially when it comes to melee combat, the way The Last of Us uh, used it. And based on the trailer, The Last of Us Part Two, it seems like they're just cranking that up to eleven. Um, it seems like they're really emphasizing stealth. Um, I love that they're focusing on Ellie. At least that's what we saw in the trailer. Yeah, I think they said that, confirmed that it's just going to be her as the main character. I mean, I mean, she might not be the only character. Like in the original Last of Us spoilers, <gasps> um, 
you you play as Joel for most of the game, and you play as Ellie for uh, a decent chunk of it, and she's also the character you play as in the DLC. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be totally surprised if they do a little bit of switch up, um, especially since last E3's trailer showed us characters that we'd never seen before, um, which kind of suggests that maybe uh, that you might play as someone else throughout the game, uh, not just Ellie the whole time. Um, this is going to be a scary podcast for people who listen to it while driving. Yeah. Sirens and shit. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm going to admit that I didn't finish The Last of Us, but it's not because I, lo- I, I thought it was anything less than incredible. It was this, that it was pretty real at a time when I was like, I don't want to play something this real. It's it's very intense. It it does not shy away from an incredible, like, it's, it's brutal and it is unforgiving. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, I should revisit it. Maybe I will. But even now, I don't really want to. I don't know, I'm at a point where, like, my tastes have definitely changed. Like, my relationship with horror movies, which used to be one of my favies, are, uh, is, is, is different. Um, and I started playing Soma a while ago. Have you played Soma? Uh, I've watched people play it on Twitch. I played Soma for a while, and I think that movie, that movie, that game's scary. One of the things I think made it more scary was that even though I played it for quite a while, I never died once because I was being so, well, lucky and also cautious. I think that made it scarier because I never knew what the stakes were. <laughs> and I eventually was like, I'm freaking myself out playing this. The light's off late at night. I know exactly how you feel because I've never been stung by a bee. <laughs> and every time I see a bee, I'm just like, what if it's terrible? It's not so bad, by the way. I heard it's not bad. But... Also, dying in a video game, <laughs> very low stakes. <laughs> Um, the, the last of us is, is a game that is super, super good at making you feel like, uh, just incredibly tense. Um, especially like when, uh, you're forced into stealth situations, which it, it, it is actually, at least when you're playing on, on normal or harder, it is very much a stealth focused game. And it sounds like they're leaning into that even more in the last of us part two. Great. Um, which I really like because I, I like, I, like I said, I like that feeling of, of being like just one bad, mis- one bad step away from fucking up. I don't know. Something about that. Like, gets oh yeah. Me they, they, one of the ways they, one of the games they play is they fuck around feelings of vulnerability. Right. Um, they want you to feel like, um, so you're something terrible could happen and you're constantly like, the game you're playing is preventing yourself from getting exposed to danger. Um, so they're both like highlighting how dangerous the situation is and making you feel like you're on the edge of, of, of that, that, that terrible thing happening to you. I agree. And I'll also say that just in general, it was an absolutely incredibly well-made trailer, just the way it is bookended with like an incredibly like normal mundane and also like really sweet and really tender scenes. Um, and then the, and then incredible brutal Do you think out of control violence, a direct response to the criticism of the last trailer. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the last of us, the original one 
um, is a game that contextualizes its violence very, very well. There, there, for me at least, when I'm playing it, there isn't a point in the game where I'm like, oh man, this is kind of gratuitous. Um, I think if you were to look at any given scene out of context, it would probably yeah. be easy to think that. Yeah, but like yeah, yeah. in the greater context of the narrative, like you're like, they're just trying to survive. And you, you know these characters, you know what's at stake, and you really get to know like Joel and Ellie's personalities. And everything they do is, is very motivated, even when you're in control of them. Um, so... Have you seen the... Yeah, it's a reaction, absolutely. Have you, have you seen the images of the like the unused The Last of Us enemies that they like designed but they couldn't implement or something? Uh, like the zombies? Uh, I don't know. There's some kind of monster that I couldn't even give you a name for. It. Oh. Uh, it's worth Googling for that. Yeah, I know. I mean, the art design for the the the, the zombie... Well, I forget what they're called now. The, the Cordyceps monsters. Mm-hmm. The clickers. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that shit was good. The clickers are so... Some of the best enemy design I've ever oh, seen. Oh, yeah. It's um, the perfect combination of, like, uh, it's, it, it, it works so effortlessly from a gameplay perspective that if you described it to me, I'd be like, that sounds like a dumb thing to have in your video game. But no, it, w- it also works perfectly from a, like, um, tension-building storytelling device. Do you, know, do you know where they got the idea from the, for The Last of Us? Um, I remember hearing a story that like they had an internal thing where I was like, okay, for this game, we get to make whatever we want. That may be true, but, um, what I had heard, uh, I think I remember seeing some interview with, uh, one of the directors, um, they were watching an episode of planet earth, mm. which I have actually seen. And, uh, the episode focuses on how the cordyceps, fungus is able to take over the minds of ants yeah yeah. um and they basically were like well what if what if that with people yeah and then i mean it's a terrifying concept yeah it it, it's worth exploring it's it's cool to me that they're able to um in, in a in a world in an entertainment world that is pushed to the brim with zombie culture um, and zombie games, particularly. I'm going to be honest. I don't get it. I don't get the obsession with zombies. Sorry. I, I used to be super into it, and now I'm. it's just totally played out. But I also feel like The Last of Us manages to be a game that is fundamentally like a zombie game without feeling too much like a zombie game. Um, I feel like... Yeah, it doesn't feel at all like a zombie game. It is one. Yeah. But I think the thing about zombies that people love is that it's funny. Um, like... There's something about zombies that's really funny because they're dumb. Right. Like, I think the joke is that they're dumb as hell. I think I think there's like I mean it's it's it plays into this idea. It's just like they're they are you know the ultimate personification of evil. They're mindless killing machines. You can you can mow them down with a machine gun and feel absolutely no guilt yeah, about it. The, yeah, I guess there's yeah maybe. So they make good enemies in that respect. Like when it comes to to game design. So I I get why people. Why games uh, lean but into that? If you want to feel guilty about it, go on ahead because they were people. It's up, Ye- it's up to you. I mean, there's some there's some complicated or maybe not complicated psychology there, but I think I think it's the fact that you can approach it with whatever attitude you want, and it s- still works. Yep. Um, to, I'm gonna just read my notes to summarize: scary, kissing, too real. That kiss, man. 
It was that kiss was, was such a good kiss. It was an achievement of technological proportions. Oh yeah, you can watch a great video online of the uh, two actors uh, describing their experience making that kiss. I recommend it. It's very interesting. <laughs> were they just was were they just like? I, I need to know more. Like, what kind? Of, so, what, what what about the experience? Was so it just really sweet? Here, here was the most awkward. So, um, for the past two Naughty Dog games, um, the Uncharted Four and and now this game, um, in addition to doing like body mocap, they've been doing facial mocap. Mm-hmm. So they literally have like kind of like an LA Noir pioneered by LA Noir. Yeah, yeah, that same kind of tech. Um, so to do that, there's literally like this camera on like an articulating arm that like comes out of like from a harness like out to uh, right in front of their face um and because of that like it's really hard you can't really like hug someone or like, yeah. get too close to them or else like the cameras get tangled yeah so literally what they had to do was like for e- even just dancing they had to like mime out those actions without actually touching each other <laughs> and like they were describing how they like literally had to like make out with the air awesome and and <laughs> <laughs> And then, oh, um, the, I mean, I think I'd be good at this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really funny. Um, they were describing how it was just like incredibly awkward. <laughs> and then from there, it's. Do they have videos of it? Uh, I think there are some stills. I don't, I don't know if there are any videos. Oh, that's of good it. enough. I'm uh, good. <laughs> this one's hilarious. Yep. Um, so, um, Octopath Traveler, I guess, had a trailer at E3. I guess it, people have known about this forever, and I just didn't care because, I don't know. I, I saw the Octopath Traveler trailer in the context of E3. Sorry if this is nothing new to you. And I had not heard of it. So. Right. Yeah, I hadn't either. And I think it's part of it is because Square Enix has this thing where they just like squeak out side games with very little fanfare. Another thing is that I think a lot of them, um, there's a lot of Square Enix games for mobile that are not popular at all in the United States. And um, when someone told me there was a Final Fantasy iPhone game, big budget Final Fantasy iPhone game, I was like, what the fuck? How come I didn't know about this? I'm talking about, um, not Brave Exvius. Yeah, Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, I think. And the reason why... It's maybe not that exciting. It's because it is one of those games where the point is to make you pay money to get random drops of spend a thousand dollars trying to get some character that you want. And they just uh, they just release another game like this, big budget, really fancy, really cool looking, but ultimately making money scamming people for loot crates. Um, it's the it's the story of our times, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, one of the things I liked about Brave Exvius, assuming I'm thinking of the right one, is it had really cool character sprites that were retro 2D. Um, the pixels were really tiny because they were making good use of the iPhone's like retina display, and but they're just really cool. I can see why you'd want to spend a lot of money on them. The animations are really good. And at first glance, Octopath Traveler looks a lot like that art style. These character sprites are like you know, SNES looking. Um, and so I think maybe even my first association was like, oh, okay, it's like one of those like scam games with like a minimal, short, metered out story that's just uh, ultimately gets overtaken by 
I need to do my daily and my weekly quests to maximize my number of loot drops, you know? Right. Um, anyhow, I, uh, it's, that's not what Octopath Traveler is. Um, you've, you've played the, uh, the demo that was, that was just released. I played the demo for three hours last night. That's as long as the demo lets you play. Um, and I loved it. So what, another thing about the, the context that I'm coming to this game from is that, like, I'm, like I said, Square Enix makes side RPGs that are usually not as good. Uh, I remember back in the final, like the Final Fantasy VII days, like they made a PS One game called Saga Frontier. That was 1997, and that was like I was so pumped because like I've never even heard of that. Square, I was like Square Enix made an RPG and it's not Final Fantasy, but it's on PS One. I have to get this. And interesting similarity between Saga Frontier and Octopath Traveler. They both feature multiple protagonists and. That, and you pick who you play as when you start, and you pl- can play it through as different people. Um, so they have to be, there's like so much in common between like separate, unique IP, multiple protagonists, kind of a sl- lower budget side game. Because Sega Frontier was way lower budget than Final Fantasy VII. It actually kind of seemed kind of crappy sometimes. Um, it was creative and cool, but I just, I wasn't really into it. Um, and then the other context coming into Octopath Traveler from is Bravely Default, which is the 2012, much more recent, screen side RPG for the DS, 3DS, 2DS, and, family. And of, there's a sequel to that that came out even more yeah, recently, right? I played the f- first one, and I was like, okay, I kind of have a feeling of what to expect from a Square Enix side RPG. Um, I'll check it out. And, like, it really came close to being something I could like, and... Uh, the thing that really threw me off is that there was some just like pretty blatant sexism in the story, and I was just like fucking not okay with it. That's too bad. And I was like, God damn it, Japan! Like, I know I can't blame the entire country, but like, whatever, whatever led to that happening, I was just like, this is really not cool. Like, they got everything right, but just with the story, it was just like, I don't know. Actually, I mean, I had more problems than just that, but. I don't. I think I can't remember what they were. That, I don't remember. That was the the heaviest straw that broke the, the camel's back. Yeah, I think the story was just really forgettable anyway, uh, and I say that because I forgot it. I don't remember what happened in the story. So I, all of that context, I'm coming into Octopath Traveler like, well, maybe there'll be some enjoyment I can eke out of this. Um, I, but I wasn't expecting a whole lot. Um, the trailer, you did see the trailer. I did. You know what the they did with the art style, like this fusion of top end uh um what's the game engine that all the good games use these days unreal yeah it's i think it was unreal engine as all this fancy effects but still like 2d like yeah you know 64 pixel tall sprites they actually made that work so well with an unbelievably beautiful like game with they they fuse high fi and low fi in a way i've never seen that's never never seen anything well, I've never seen anything like it, and it's really effective. And I think that if this was their way of, like, how can we make something on a low budget that still looks good? They nailed it. Um, and the graphics, I have to say, even the 3D parts are really reminiscent of uh, SNES RPGs, like Final Fantasy VI. Like, some of the tile sets have, a, have like, really similar color contrast and complexity. And mm-hmm. so I think they were, like, how can we... I, think, I felt like they were saying, like, Final Fantasy VI, beautiful was regarded as having incredible graphics at the time. What made those graphics so great? Can we reproduce that without, in a way that's modernized without 
making a big budget. If that's what I found out they were going for, they got it. Um, so all that said, I was like, well, please have a good story. Please don't have sexist bullshit. Please don't be dumb. Please don't, like, um, it could still do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the first three hours, it didn't really seem like it did. I, um, I picked a, a character who's like a warrior guy. It's like partially voice acted. He's a samurai. And like, the game has no story besides the stories of the characters. And after you, you're set up, so you go through like the scenario that's like, here's the backstory for your character. And then they say, oh, you have to find your arch enemy. He is at this place. And then they say, go get him. And then when you look at the map, it says that place, other side of the entire world. The world is huge. It says recommended level 27. And in between you and there is all of the other characters who you can meet and help and join along the way. Recommended level 5, which is about where you are. And at that point, your quest is to travel across the world and make friends. And I, <laughs> and I was like really ended up feeling really motivated to do that. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I think as soon as I get home tonight, I'm going to uh, download that, that demo and give it a shot. Yeah, and another thing that um, I want to compare it to is another game I love dearly, one of my favorite games ever, Breath of Fire 3. Have you played that or any of the Breath of Fire series? I've never even heard of that, to be totally honest. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not super deep into the JRPG world, I will be totally honest. Sure, it, sure. The only one I've really played like at length is Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Um, Breath of Fire 3, my favorite game of the Breath of Fire series, was one of those games where it was the right time and the right place, and I don't think they knew... I don't think they knew what they had, really. Um, graphics were getting better. PS1, they wanted to make it 3D. And one of the great things about the Breath of Fire series is their character designs and animations were like so good. Think like hand-drawn anime style stuff. And they put that in a 3D environment. And it wasn't as deft as maybe it could have been, but it was really good. And um, it, 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 it was really good. And then in Breath of Fire 4, they tried to make more and more of a 3D, and it declined from there because the character of the hand-drawn art was lost and the character of the whole game kind of... Were, they, were these on, up. like, 3DS or something? PS1. Or PS1. Oh, so these are real old. Oh, yeah. Breath of Fire 3 was, like... Uh, yeah, Breath of Fire 3 was 1997, which is the same year as Saga Frontier, interestingly. Um, I feel like the mid-90s were... The mid to late 90s were the golden age of JRPGs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and Square's trying to bring it back so hard. I'm glad they're fighting the fight, and I really hope that with this, they finally figured it out. And one of the reasons I think that maybe this is it was something that was out of their control, which is that the Switch didn't exist until now. Um, oh, it's such a good platform for games like that? Oh, it's yeah. It's a perfect platform. It is, yeah, and I don't even feel like we need to get into why. Yeah. It's just explain and, why and, the Switch is And good. just the fact that they're back with Nintendo now, I think, you know, sim like from a, like a symbolic uh, standpoint is it's, it's pretty big. Yeah, like uh, Square established a division for Switch development. That's crazy. Um, I mean, it's awesome. I, I think so. I think that this represents um, Square Enix saying, "We've been trying to make this happen honestly for decades." Final Fantasy VI too. And here's an opportunity to really make the 
um, JRPG work again in the current like economics of AAA game development. Um, please work, and I'm gonna play it. it. I'm 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 invested. It sounds like this game. Uh, I mean, I think this is the the first game from that new studio, uh, or at least that new department. I'm not sure if it's a whole studio. I don't know either, but I think I think you're right. Well, it's definitely the first Switch. Yeah, RPG. the first Switch exclusive, at least. Yeah. From from Square Enix. Yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about that. Yep. Thanks for listening to me ramble about a game that you haven't played yet. It's all right. Uh, you you've sold me on it, so I'm okay, excited cool. to play it. Cool. Let me know what you think. Um. So anime is real. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, at long last. Yeah. You heard it. For, you heard it here first. So the thing about the what, what's it called? Let's go Pikachu slash Let's go Eevee. I haven't decided how to pronounce that yet. Let's go Pokemon. Let Let's go. Evachu. So you can call PV. All the PV. I don't like that. <laughs> you can call earlier Pokemon games like Red Blue, Sun Moon, XY. Usually it's pretty easy to say, and people would also say Indigo League to refer to Red Blue as if that. But that's even longer. So I think Red Blue is fine. You can't really say Poke, Pikachu Eevee quite as right. It's at least too, I can. It's like what are you talking about? Pika V. Um, I, I don't love the titling, but I understand why they chose it. I think they, I think the community will decide what to call it, and then it'll be fine. It's a temporary. It'll problem. just be like like L L G L G E and L G P. Yeah, Ugh, I don't like that. Well, the community will keep working on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am surprised looking at. <laughs> Uh, inspecting my own response to it, I'm surprised I didn't just hate it because it was such a like, oh, money grab. For, oh, it's like, absolutely, I was going to say it's a cash grab. It's such a cash grab. And for some reason, I don't hate it. And I can't, I don't even know if I'm going to like it, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I admire that their, their effort to, to attempt to, to bring, you know, people who maybe have not actually gotten into Pokemon um, beyond Pokemon Go um, in, into the, the larger Pokemon gaming culture. And like the, like I, I was watching the trailer. At this point, the smaller Pokemon gaming yeah. culture, I wonder. Right. Um, well, I guess larger in terms of like history, like yeah. um, historically speaking. But the trailer... Pikachu literally leads someone who's playing Pokemon Go <laughs> into a living room to play the new game on the Switch. He's my friend. I trust him. It's like, okay, Pikachu, like I trust you, man. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, you're, you're a good detective, and I know you wouldn't let me down. You're a great detective, though. So. Um, I'm really curious about that movie. The, the movie, uh, it's a 3DS game. That well, there's also a Detective Pikachu movie coming out. What? Yeah, you know who plays? You know who does the voice of Pikachu? Sean Connery. No, it's Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> People, we don't know any much about it right now, but like, <laughs> everybody's like pretty, pretty like bemused by it. Oh my god! I digress. Well, well like what, what Nintendo's saying is, we've always had the console, and the portable. And now with Switch, they found fantastic success with the fusion of the two. It stands to reason that Pikachu's got to follow along. Um, and it, I, I don't know what to expect in terms of like their success on a like, on that like 
cosmic scale of Pokemon money, and I don't care. Um, like, maybe they'll be... Like, the difference between... The level of investment they're making in this, presumably, based on that trailer, the peripheral movie with Reynolds, um, they're, they're fucking balls to the wall on trying to make this work. And I don't care. I just want to know, is the game going to be something I like or not? And I want to like it, just because the fantasy of bringing Pokemon with you, the Pokeball peripheral that you carry on with you, is just like... I, I love that they made that. They destroyed my defenses completely. Like I'm it's, gonna, it's I'm very a, charming. It makes me feel like a kid when uh when when I watch the trailer. I'm like I just want to walk Pikachu around. Like I don't know. I'm all, I I can't help it. I think the key to the game's success will be, um, how fleshed out it is relative to other Pokemon games. Like, are they going to? Is it going to be Pokemon Light? Like, is it going to be something that's in between Pokemon Go and a full-fledged Pokemon game? Or is well, it going to be a full-fledged Pokemon game in its own right that talks to Pokemon Go? Well, here's what I think about that. I played Red Blue. First Pokemon games, loved them. I played Red. I would play... I bought both. I would play them uh, a game in the series now and then, but I wouldn't get really stoked about it. I played XY, and I loved it. Um... This was the one that was set in France, and they had all these really... In, like, the stuff they added for that setting were really cool. It was, a, it was a cool world. If you told me the idea of a Pokemon game set in Paris, I'd think... I would not think of that being a good idea, but it was very cool. They had, like, poodles that you could change their hairdos, and, like, uh, this was... They added a, a fashion element where there's a lot of clothes you can buy, and that was, like, you could make videos of yourself... Um, I did not know this you, about this you, game. You can make a tr- you can make a trailer of yourself. You'd like choreograph Was your this opening on D- like DS. Yeah, you could choreograph your opening video that you that it shows when you fight another player online. You'd like choose the camera angle in the background and like the move you do and which Pokemon is highlighted and your clothing that you uh, the outfit that you meticulously put together. It's it's really fun and interesting and. Um, so I was like, XY, I'm back into Pokemon. This was I had a great time with it. So I was even more excited about Sun Moon because it's set in Hawaii or Alola. And I love the tropical setting. I'm a I like to I wanna go sit on the beach forever in real life, so presumably I'd want to do it in the, the wonderful world of Pokemon. And when I played it, it just didn't resonate as much. And part of it I think was because it feels like it got fluffier and if you think that making videos of yourself in outfits isn't fluffy <laughs> then i don't know what i honestly can't justify what i'm saying but um they it was really easy they give you a lot of free items for no reason um there was one of the things i both love and hate and this must be just human nature talking is that everyone's friends there's no like rival like, everyone's just having a good it's time. It's too friendly. It's too friendly. Like, there's no... Th- the threat that exists is, like, so, um, like... It's, it's like, it's as if you watched, uh, like, a Hollywood blockbuster action movie and the enemy was, like, dinner's gonna be an hour late. <laughs> That's a good, good description. Um, and so I didn't even finish it. And and now I'm like, oh geez, this is got. If they're already on a on a in a, in the direction of getting fluffier, there's no way it's not going to be even more fluffy. This is the this will draw the line forward. 
but I still want to like it so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in a similar boat. Um, I played Pokemon Red. My brother had Pokemon Blue, and we both played them to death when yeah. we were kids. Yeah. Um, we got every single one. I had fucking Missing No. Mm-hmm. I had Mew and Mewtwo. Like, Did you have a, a Game Boy printer so you can print out your certificate of completion? I don't. I think I borrowed my friends actually nice, to nice. do that now that because I remember having this ticket. The only thing you would buy, it but for. I don't remember having the <laughs> printer. Man, speaking, talk about cash grabs. Yeah. Um, but I never found myself really super interested in a subsequent Pokemon game, and I ended up buying Pokemon Sun um, when it came out, and I played like two or three hours of the game, and I was like, "This is fun," but like it didn't really hold my attention the same way. I mean, granted, like, 18 years had passed, but, or maybe more. I don't remember how long, how many, many years had passed. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe I can chalk it up to just being a different person now. I think it was slow-paced. Like, it definitely doesn't grab you at the beginning. And I also feel like, for me, like, I, I never, like, I liked the 3DS, um, but it's not like a system I would bring with me like on the regular, like it'd mm-hmm. be like, I would only get a game for 3ds when it was a game that only came out on 3ds and like, right. and then I wouldn't play it and I haven't picked mine up in a long time. But now with the, the switch feels such, um, like such a, uh, it feels like a console that, um, you know, can sit in the pantheon of other, um, you know, AAA consoles like the, the, the PS4 and the Xbox. Obviously, it doesn't have quite the graphics horsepower that those systems have, but, like, there's a lot of titles that are coming out on all three, and to be able to have a device that can play, you know, not just Nintendo exclusives on the go, not that Nintendo exclusives are bad, they're amazing, obviously, um, I guess what I'm trying Especially to Especially right now. What I'm trying to say is that I'm much more likely to play a Pokemon game on Switch because I'm much more likely to have my Switch with me than yeah. I am to have my 3DS with me. Yeah. Right now, my 3DS is basically the Animal Crossing machine. I think the last game I played on it besides that was the new Metroid game, which was crazy good. I heard it was really good. But that was like, you know, that's like a... I, I don't want to say a number because it's wrong, but... it. I'll say the number that it felt like, and there's an asterisk. I felt like that was like a seven-hour game, maybe, and I loved it, but like, I played it, and that's it, so that's not... I think Nintendo is... I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but I feel like Nintendo is... will not admit that the, the, the DS as a system, the 3DS, every incarnation of it, is sort of on its way out. Like, I don't know how, like you can as a company like you can justify having both of those as like prime time well, market well i don't know i know there's been a lot of discussion about this um the thing is the ds's have been money printers for them and i think it's cheaper sure and i think that for as long as they'll keep them around if they keep making money off of it i guess that's true and maybe they are and maybe maybe i'm completely out of my element here but it's in my mind like like the switch is just like has so much more to offer um in terms of flexibility of gameplay and the kinds of titles it can support what what i anticipate is that this is already kind of the case um that the ds is kind of the toy it's the one for kiddos yeah and i I think that the reason i had it was because i wanted a portable game system and as a exactly as a as a big boy um the DS no longer has that particular appeal, so I think that I will have less interest in it. Um, 
if does that mean that on a you know across all of the audiences that Nintendo caters to, does that mean the DS goes away? I'm not sure. I guess time will tell. Yeah. Um, want to talk about Death Stranding? I do want to talk about Death Stranding. I hated the baby butt. <laughs> I hated it they, so And they led with it, too. At first, what I saw it was like, what? Oh. It was there to make me mad. It was like, but. I mean, I think some of the stuff in the... I think it was there to elicit a response. And that... They're really good at that. I think it was, it's, it was sort of like a means of dropping a, a little drop of levity in what otherwise was I going to be. I didn't feel like it was levity. I felt like it was an affront. <laughs> oh, wow. You really, you really didn't like it. <laughs> no. I mean, I think it was both. I think it's funny because it's an affront. Like, I think that's the joke. Like, I get it. I just was like, um, you know how, like, something can be real, a prank can be really funny, but if you're the butt of the joke, oh, no. <laughs> um you might not want to laugh. I think that's how I feel about it. So I guess, I guess we still don't really know what the hell Death Stranding is. And um, I think... Um, we have a better idea of what it is. We can theorize a little bit more about what it is. But. I hope that this is all we know when we start playing. I think, I think that's... I think if, if they were going to tell us like, more about the game, we w- they would have by now. Like, it stands to reason that, you know, the, the, the Sony marketing machine would have been like, we need to know more about what the game is if, if, um, if there wasn't, like, a really good reason to not tell us. I think, I think they've got... I think that if you look at, like, the marketing perspective, I think marketing is going to be okay with style over substance. Which is kind of what it is right now. I think they're leaning on, you know, the mythos of Kojima to some extent as well. Of course. Um, I, th- I think... Th- yeah, I don't think you need, like, plot details to market a game. So I don't think they care from that perspective. Um, what I think they're going for, based on what I saw, was that it's going to be weird and unique. And it's going to be a hell of a ride. And if that's what they're going for... I don't want to know anymore. I want to experience it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And I also kind of hope that it isn't heavily combat focused. I think in that entire... It can, it can, they, they, yeah, I hope not too. I mean, there we've seen like a handful of, of firearms like dished out in a couple yeah. of the trailers. But it seems like that isn't the primary point of the game it's not a shooter it doesn't sound, it sounds like there will be you know opportunities to engage in combat i guess we are forced to assume metal gear yeah i mean i think i think we're we we have to look at what kojima's done before and be like well there has to be some kind of shooting that goes on but even in metal gear like you know if you were if you, if you wanted to you could play through most of the metal gear games without firing a shot you know stealth was really em- emphasized um, except maybe the boss fights. Yeah. Um, and that's that's completely fine. Like, if you're going to have a game that's not about fighting, but you still want a like, rises and fall of, falls of dramatic tension that keep it interesting, boss fights being the primary source of fighting fits that uh, formula very well. I'm, I'm really, like, intrigued by a game that um, 
manages to avoid, you know, leaning into combat too heavily. Like, I take, um, I look at a game like <coughs> uh, Bioshock Infinite, for instance, which is a game that's like dripping with substance and really interesting narrative and interesting characters. Um, and then it's also like, you are going to murder hundreds of people through. <laughs> Um, same thing with like I didn't I didn't play it. Uncharted Uncharted Four is very similar. It's large, I didn't play it largely because I kind of heard that criticism of it, and I was just like, eh, I don't want. It. I just don't. It's a really good game. Um, it's like I said, it's true of, of a lot of games. Um, Uncharted Four is another good example where it has this really deep narrative story, really interesting characters who, you know, especially with a character like Nathan Drake, who's like this really like carefree fella. Um, whose you know attitude towards the world is is very sort of jovial and joking he's 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 very much people people have often said that if they were going to make a uncharted movie that nathan fillion should play um yeah of course he's he's a little too old now to actually do it but he's clearly like they took they inspiration still, it's hollywood you can do it yeah maybe a cgi movie where he does the voice that'd be awesome no i think you can just do it um yeah you're probably right um but he like murders hundreds of people throughout the course of the game and like oh, the, doesn't show any like psychological repercussions the, of having the, done the it. video game dilemma. Well, sure. like, what happens in gameplay is considered separate, which is really weird, but people, people have really learned to accept that at this point. That, that term I believe has been coined as ludo narrative dissonance. Ludo narrative. In fact, dissonance. there is an achievement in Charter Four that if you I think it's like if you kill a thousand enemies, you, you it's the achievement is called ludo narrative dissonance. I think that's a mouthful, but um I think it's also part of a well, I think the, the the I think the way people talk about it in many of the discussions I've seen um don't feel like they really get it. Like one of the things that has <coughs> bugged me is that video games are always an abstraction or representative to some degree. And one of the things is that people say like, oh, this town in this RPG has 12, it's population 12, 12 people live there. And like they haven't realized that that town of 12 people represents a larger town. They just take it literally. Um, and I think that that's a case where it's, I, I see that as very similar. Like saying Nathan Drake has killed thousands of people, I think there's a way of looking at it where it's literally true and a way of looking at it where it's not literally true. Right. Our our experience as a gamer is an extrapolation of what could be considered like canonical in his actual story. Yeah. Just for the benefit of making it an enjoyable gameplay experience, perhaps. Yeah. And um or at least a longer gameplay experience. I think I think longer more than anything. Well, I don't know. It's because, it's because, uh, it's it's because ultimately, stories in video games started out as backdrop. It was lore. It was like an explanation, and we've come so far into how theatrical video games are, and it evolved here very naturally. Right. Um, that we, it didn't. And it, it, we're just. I think now we're stopping looking back on it and being like, well, that's weird. <laughs> Um, the music in the Death Stranding trailer was so good. Oh, it was excellent. I need to listen to it again. It was haunting. It was, um, something that reminded me of a, reminded me a little bit of like, uh, um, some like independent psychological horror films that I've seen that I, I can't 
put my finger on which, but there's something about it that um, tapped into he tapped into like that uh, realm of storytelling, and I think games generally don't get to. It was very Kojima. I don't know if you've played a lot of like like it reminded me a lot of Metal Gear Solid Three, um, which is, is that the one with Raiden? Uh, no, it's Metal Gear Solid Two. Metal, Metal Gear Solid 3 is the one that's like the prequel. It's like, I think it takes place in the 70s or the 80s. Um, that the one with the desert? Uh, no, but it's mostly in the jungle. Oh, is that the one where you eat snakes? Yes. It's called Snake Eater. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's that was, literally Metal that was, Gear Solid that was, 3 Snake Eater. That was not on purpose, by the way. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> really funny. Um, I should have just loved that. Um, but that's a game, like, I can remember, there's there's a part of that, that game where you, I can't remember what, I think it's near the end. You're literally climbing a, a ladder and you're climbing a ladder for like a good, like five minutes. And during that part, um, this big sweeping, uh, theatrical, uh, music sweep, sweeps in with this big, like giant female vocal in it. And like the, the emptiness of that scene, um, with that kind of music, um, really reminded uh that we saw in the, the death stranding trailer really reminded me of uh of that part of metal gear solid 3 the what tra- the death stranding the death stranding trailer um hmm. it yeah. evoked a similar tone in my mind yeah interesting um so thank god for elder, elder scrolls 6 huh yeah I, I, we don't know a lot about Elder Scrolls Six other than the fact that it exists, and we saw like a fifteen-second CGI flyover trailer. I know all that I need to know. It exists yep. because they had said at some point like they had no plans for a new Elder Scrolls game, and what I took that to mean was there's not going to be another Elder Scrolls game in a world where AAA game development has become uh, hard to. Um, um, make your money back and people are the industry is going fucking ballistic trying to monetize in weird ways to try to make it work and it's not working i would actually rather have no elder scrolls 6 than one with microtransactions um and i think i I kind of feel like oh that's what they decided to that's fine and they said um elder scrolls online is the elder scrolls experience if you want elder scrolls play that and i i I was like fuck well well, the reason for that is because, um, well, or at least what I assume the reason for that to be is, great sentence, Greg, was that online games are easier to monetize because you get a subscription. So online that's the same reason Final Fantasy ever had online games. It's because they're such a popular series, they want to make money off of it. Online game is a great way to try to do that. Um, and so... I played it and I was like, this sucks. This is stupid. <laughs> I don't like it. I, I played like a, a fruit weekend of it once and I was like, not, not doing it. It's like Elder Scroll sk- skinned like something else. Like it, it feels like you, the, the game was not designed to play like Elder Scrolls in anything besides the surface level. It's basically like here's, you know, Here's here's a shoddy copy of World of Warcraft without any of the secret sauce that makes the Elder Scrolls the Elder Scrolls. The thing that has worked really well for World of Warcraft 
is that their in their world that they've created evolved to work as an MMO. Like the world of World of Warcraft, the world of Warcraft, so to speak, is insane. It's just like big freaking dragons, like giant lava monsters, chilling volcanoes that you don't even bat an eye at. Like people driving motorcycles around. It's all ballistic, and it's works because the whole game is like that now. Like the f- they can sell you a new crazy mount for f- for a million dollars, and and it won't ruin the game setting because the game setting is everything is amp- like amped up crazy cartoon goofiness fantasy nonsense as much as possible. It, and, it doesn't really take itself seriously. And I'm not criticizing it because it's fun as hell. I recently played played some World of Warcraft to see if I could get back into it. I don't think I really will. But I was, I was like, this is a world that is grew up with the idea of a MMO and it shows. Um, uh, Elder Scrolls games are just not that. And they still need to make MMO money. They still need to like get you to buy stuff for your house. And it just doesn't mesh. It just doesn't fit it, together. It isn't it doesn't have that sort of campiness that World of Warcraft has. I mean, in the art style alone, it's you know, it's a much more yeah. um you know, it's it's trying to be more not I don't want to say photorealistic, but at least not as cartoony as World of Warcraft is. Um and yeah, I mean, I I barely played it, but something about it, like, just, it it, it didn't work. It just, um, it just didn't work. Um, it's a, it's a, a type of game that is um, the way that the art and the setting and the lore are all designed is lonely exploration, uh, humbling moments of beauty. Like, that's not what MMOs play like at all, and... I know, they were just kind of, I think what they were like, I mean, they were like, here's a model, we've got a fantasy world, we can make an MMO out of it, but the the things that make the Elder Scrolls games, that make Oblivion and Skyrim and Morrowind in particular um, such fun games to play is they they do have sort of a sense of loneliness about them. I think they, they work because they are solo experiences, um, and... Who knows? Maybe the next, maybe Elder Scrolls Six will be multiplayer in some way, because that seems to be the trend. I really hope it isn't. I really hope that Bethesda is true to their roots on this and and just, you know, looks at what made their previous games really successful and really fun and just and just build on top of that. Yeah, go go with what works. Yeah, if it ain't Um, broke, don't fix it, Bethesda. And um, yeah, because again. I, I'm sorry I'm harping on this, but like another MMO I played that worked well was Final Fantasy 14. And that's a, the world that they built is one, they want you to laugh. Like, it's silly, it's overwrought. It's just Final Fantasy flavored overwrought instead of, you know, World of Warcraft flavored overwrought. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 here's a timeline question, maybe you know. Did Oblivion come out on Switch before or after they made the decision to make Elder Scrolls 6? Oblivion's available on Switch? Sorry, I meant Skyrim. Uh, say that, so say that again. Did Skyrim come out on Switch before or after they made the decision to make Elder Scrolls 6? I don't know if we know the answer to that question yet. We, we, we probably don't. What if 
Skyrim's Switch made so much money as a single-player game on a new console that changes the dynamics of the game industry. What if that made the decision? That would be a. Uh, that would be awesome. That would be a such a victory for the medium of video games that like, we. What if if Switch is driving the return of AAA single-player games? That would be incredible. We don't know that. That is just a. In a, a romantic idea that I've got in my head right now, but I just wanted to share it because it's too beautiful to pass up. Yeah. I mean, hopefully... I hope that Bethesda is... You know, I want them to be successful. I want them to make money, and obviously you have to bend to the whim of, you know, what makes money in you know in our economy and our in our market. Well, the thing is, like... But... When you phrase it that way, I think... Or think about it that way. I think you're gonna. It kind of leads to you going about it the wrong way. Well, right. But what what I was gonna say is that I I think that um, they need to ignore that. Like there <laughs> there's there's a really compelling. I. There's there's a, there's a. I understand why they would go down the path of of you know, loot boxes and and you know and things like Elder Scrolls Online, um, but they there's a core group of gamers out there that love single player games and um and they clearly have a history of making great games like that and they would be they'd be being disingenuous to themselves if they abandoned that tradition i think that one of the things that i'm trying to remember a quote i can't remember what the quote is something about having a successful business and it's something like um you can't be successful by giving people what they say they want. You have to know more about what people want than they do and give them that. Right. There's that quote that everybody says that Henry Ford said, but I don't think Henry Ford actually said that <laughs> if if I'd asked people uh, what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I heard another Henry Ford quote recently that I really liked. And I don't remember it, so that's really good for the podcast. <laughs> um uh, I'm uh, just just a quick note. Uh, I'm gonna pour one out for Animal Crossing. Uh, I'm doing it. It's pouring liquid on the floor right now. Matt's really impressed. Oh, it's oh, you poured it right into that cup that was strategically placed on the floor. Well done. <laughs> it was already not impressive. Why do you have to make up a different type of <laughs> impressive? Um, so, oh, one more thing about Elder Scrolls. What region will it be in? We got Black Marsh. We've got Elsewhere, which is Badlands with cats. We've got High Rock, which is uh, a beach community of orcs, Somerset Isles, which is just islands, I guess, and Valenwood, which is the forest. I think that marshes suck. There's no way you, you want that. Yeah. I think that Valenwood, the forest, is too close to the one that was Oblivion. I forget the name of the region, the Imperial Capital. Cyrodiil. Too close to that. No. Uh, shit. What is, is it? Cyrodiil? That sounds right. I think it could be High Rock or Somerset Isles. I think something coastal or... I think based on the trailer, like a little bit we did see implies something coastal. And okay. the fact that it's also still mountainous terrain, I think I think uh, High Rock is a good bet. Okay. And I think that could be really good. Um, it's different from the other games they've done before, but it, I can totally see that being Elder Scrolls. And it, it could offer like... The fact that it's coastal but all, also mountainous, I think, could offer like a lot of variety in terms of do you like that um, in terms of different environments. Yeah, and then the the other option would be elsewhere, Badlands with cats. I'd be into that because I think it could go in a Morrowind direction a little bit. And I'd be done with that. Yeah. 
I think we uh, we talked about everything we wanted to talk about, and we yeah. did we didn't write an ending, so I'm just gonna improvise. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Fuck it. Let's do it live. Let's do it live. Um, hey, I'm Greg. I'm Peace Spirit on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. <laughs> uh, I am I'm Matt and I am uh Smith. Uh I think I'm just Smith on on Twitch. You're Smith 123 on Twitch. Sweet, Jesus. I'm Smith 123 <laughs> on Twitch. Yeah, please. This is Matt. He's Smith 123 on Twitch and he's uh must Smith M A underscore S M E E T H on Twitter.com. I really got to unify my usernames. Our, our theme song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And as always, good night. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good episode. Pretty good one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Poop, 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 poop,